0: All right. Well, good morning, again. Good morning. Um, let me say I'm really thrilled and, and blessed to be here. Thank you again, Pastor Sam, for the opportunity and the invitation. Thank you, MBT, for the time and fellowship and all the welcoming words and the hosting and the hospitality. Thank you all of others from other churches for the encouragement and um, the time and fellowship uh, you know, we, I started talking about the Albanian Bible Project, translating the Bible into Albanian. And I spent a little bit, little bit of time talking about the importance of paying attention to every word of God. And that led us to take an approach in, in translation instead of starting translating the text right away. Because we don't want any of God's words to fall to the ground. And because every word of God is pure, we wanted to make sure that we're not conflating words and we're not translating synonyms the same. If God went to the trouble to use individual words to express himself and and to, to talk to us, we want to be able to, 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 to do the same. So we want to pay attention to the words. And we also work on the on the Bible dictionary. So that's why we, we took that approach. Now, uh, I don't Certainly don't, don't mean to say that this is the only way to do it. And if you don't do it this way, it's not the right way. That, that's not at all our our, our viewpoint. Uh, however, in, in, our, in, our, in our process and in our journey, uh, we just want to share what God has done to teach us through this process. And uh, maybe it will help others as, as well who will take on similar projects. About 14 years ago, I was looking for a job and I, I found a... A job and the man that I was working with uh, he was a Christian, so we hit it off and we became good good friends, but he was working on a Bible translation from the originals uh, whatever they are in in English and so he gave me a copy of his translation and said, "Would you take take a look at it and tell me what you what you think about it so I did, and you know one of the the things I pointed out to him uh, among other things was first uh, Corinthians 11.1, one, where Paul says, be followers of me, and, and his translation, much like uh, other new modern translations, they don't use the word follower there, and they use the word imitator. And I said, I pointed that out to him, and I said, you know, this, this here shouldn't be imitators, it should be followers. And he said, no, that, that, that is not correct, it should be imitators, because the word in Greek is imitator, is pantomime, which is like pantomime, you're imitating somebody. And, um, well, I, I said, well, then, then this is, the English is better. Now, this guy is white. Uh, he was white. He's, this probably still is, but he turned red. <laughs> in, in less than a second, I had never seen a change of color that, that quickly. And thank God we were in the office, because I, I am sure he was going to strangle me. The very idea that somebody could have the audacity to say that a translation can be better than the original or that something can be rendered in a different language better than the original is absolute uh, mind-boggling to people who who think that God only wrote the originals and then he disappeared. And we are to worship the original languages. Now, I don't have anything against the original languages, but I believe that God is a God of all people. (laughs) And he wants to communicate his words to all people. And he didn't just write the originals, but he was also involved in the process of the preservation. And so people always bring this up, that when you go from one language to another, you're going to to do a poor job because you're not portraying the original as it is. And it it is certainly true that no two languages are the same. You cannot copy and paste from one language to, to another. That is certainly the case. However, that does not mean that when you go from one language to another, you're necessarily losing something. What if you are gaining something? And so I want to show you some of the things that God has showed us through through, the, through this process. And I'm going to do this in, in English, considering the audience. So let's let's take a, a look at a few examples, okay? I, I know that, that many people learn best by examples. Uh, I, I know that many people uh, go to sleep when you have an academic style and uh, they find that a, a, a little too boring. So let's, let's look at some examples and let, let's make it practical how these things uh, show themselves and, and how they can be practical in our lives. So, if you study the, the, the Bible, you probably have heard of the blue, blue letter Bible, and it's a great, great tool for, for study. So, if you look up Strong's G27, it's a Greek word, agapetos. This word is translated, it, it will show you there how this Greek word has been translated in the King James Bible. And this particular word has been translated as beloved forty-seven times, dearly beloved, well beloved and dear. And and for somebody, you know, English is not my native tongue. So when I look at these words, I, I don't really understand what is the difference between beloved and dearly beloved and well beloved or, or dear. And why would somebody look at a Greek word and render it in these different ways? Well, when you look, for, for time's sake, we're only going to look at one of them, but the word well-beloved, it's, it's one Greek word, but, but it's been rendered in different ways. It's used in the Song of Solomon for, uh, for well, a type of Christ and the church, is, is Solomon and his bride. But Solomon is the son of David, and Christ is called the son of David. And he has a bride, and also Christ has a bride, and it's used for him. It's used in Isaiah 5.1 to talk about the relationship of God the Father and Israel. And it's also used in Mark 12.6. It's the the parable of the man who builds a a vineyard and he uh, builds a tower and he lends it out to husbandmen and and he expects fruit and he sends servants to to them to to give him the fruit and they they don't have any fruit and they kill their servants. And finally he says he's going to send them his beloved son, that's a picture of God the Father sending to the nation of Israel the Lord Jesus Christ. And they also killed the Son as a result of that. So it's used to, to refer to God uh, the Father as his love for, for Israel. It's used to, to refer to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's used in Romans 16 uh, verse 5 for a for, for, uh, 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 brother in Christ who is of the first fruit of Achaia in, in Christ. And it's also used in 3 John 1, 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So this is a special nuance that you get in the English that you don't get in the Greek, because they're all the same. Now, all people that are in Christ are beloved. Now, we don't necessarily love some of them for other reasons, but we should. They are beloved because they are in Christ. But for some people, because they love the truth... And because they love the Lord Jesus Christ, because they have the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, because they understand God's relationship with Israel, and they're not messed up in doctrine, (laughs) they are well-beloved to you. God gives you a special love for those people. So that's a nuance that you gain from going from Greek to English in this case. Here's another example of this word in Strong's is G2040. ergatus in Greek and it's rendered in English in the King James Bible as laborer, workman, or worker. Now, when you look at the word worker or workers, there's 28 references in the Bible. 21 of those references are workers of iniquity because our works are bad. But it's been, labor, it's been rendered as laborers only in the New Testament, no Old Testament references, and they always point to somebody who is given the gospel, always in the context of somebody laboring for the gospel. It's only one word in Greek, but it makes a difference from somebody who just does some works to somebody else who is a laborer for the gospel. And then the third way it's rendered is a workman. You look up that word in the Bible, the word workman is always associated with highly skilled laborers doing a particular work. Especially in the tabernacle, or working for in, in the ministry for the Lord, but a, a workman is somebody who is skilled, is trained at what they do. And we know Second 2 Timothy 2:15, 2, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." God's standard for a Christian is: if you are saved, you are to be a laborer in the field, but you are also to be a workman. You are to be a professional, if you will. Studying the Bible is not just for the pastors. It's not for the people who are called to the ministry. You are to be a workman. You should know the Bible as well as you know your profession. That is God's standard for those who study the Bible. So yes, you do gain something, even though in Greek is one, in, in one word, Here you gain a a, a nuance of how this word has been rendered. And why would they make the decision to translate it three different ways? I mean, they know what that word means. I guess the Holy Spirit was involved in that process. (laughs) I guess the Holy Spirit wants us to understand something when we look at those words and pay attention to those words. Let's look at a a third example. This word is G2555, kakopois, in the Greek. And it's been translated two ways in the Bible, as evildoer, and one time a malefactor. Every time is is an evildoer, and that's what the word literally means from from the Greek, somebody who does bad, an evildoer. But in John chapter 18 and verse 30, they translate this word as a malefactor. And it is the context when the chief priests, they take Jesus before Pilate, and he says to them, what has he done? And they say to him, if he, if he were not a malefactor, he would have, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. And that this word, malefactor, they call him a malefactor, Christ. And then this word is also used for the, for the two thieves that were crucified with Christ. In Luke 23, 32 and 33, there are two other malefactors that were put to death. These are the guys that, that were the thieves that were crucified with Christ. So when the King James translators come to this this word, they break the pattern of how they have translated this word as evildoer everywhere else, except for when it comes to Christ. Now when you consider the the root of this word, what is a malefactor? A malefactor is a person who had been convicted of a crime, who has breached the rules of law and and has been prescribed as as a punishment. He is a convicted criminal. And the context of what is happening with Christ is that the chief priests, they cannot convict Christ based on their Hebrew law. So they take him to Pilate, who is a Roman, who speaks Latin, by the way, and they use malefactor, which is a Latin-based word. They don't use a Greek word when they're talking to a Roman. And what they're telling him is that the way that Christ should be judged he should be judged as a criminal. They're not saying this guy has done some bad things as an evildoer. They're very specific about the term that they use when they're talking to Pilate, a Roman. They're quoting to him Roman law, and they're telling him this guy is a malefactor. Maleficia are the works, are, are, are known works of someone breaking the law. They're, they're all the, the criminal acts. And they're suggesting to him, they're telling him, you should try him based on your law, because they couldn't convict him based on their law. You should try him as a malefactor. So that when they come to this word, they break pattern. And, and, and people who only come from the idea that only, only Greek has the truth and no other language could possibly contain God's words, don't understand, they, they see a problem there. I see a revelation there. I see some God giving us some insight because the whole law, even the Western law, even today is based on Roman law. And they're talking to a Roman and they, and they, and they talk to him in Roman terms. So here the Greek doesn't help you, but the English and also, by the way, the Diodati, the, the Italian, 1607, uses the same word, and the Valera, 1602, in Spanish, uses the same word, Malefactor because that's, that's what's going on. So the consistency of God's words from Re- Genesis to Revelation depends on a translation. There are words in the New Testament that are rendered from Hebrew to Greek. And nobody complains about that. The, the, those words can be inspired. So a translation can be inspired. So this, this term of in the Greek shows up only one time in the Bible, in its Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11, and it says, um, they had a king over them, which is the angel of bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. So when God wants to give you the translation of a word from one language to another, he is totally capable of doing that. He tells you this is what it is in Hebrew, this is what it is in in Greek. He can give you a translation. Yes, languages are not 100% the same, but that does not mean that God cannot express Himself in any other language except Greek and Hebrew. And in the work of translation, you have to pay attention to what the Bible says. We must take our definitions from what the Bible says. And the word, the the phrase being interpreted, it it is used seven times in the Bible. They're all New Testament words. I wonder if God meant anything by that. (laughs) Maybe it means that he can give us perfection even through interpretation from one language to another. If you study the Bible and if you let the Bible give you your viewpoints of how you, how you see the world and how you understand things, you will find it interesting that in the Bible there's only three languages that are mentioned by name. And I know what you, some of you are saying. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I know there's more than three. But you should look it up. It is the Jews' language, which is mentioned. You have the references on the screen. It is the Syrian language, which is mentioned. Again, in 2 Kings 18. And the language of Canaan, which will be spoken in the, in, in the land of Egypt. Now, if you study the Bible, you study the book of Acts, you know that God will set in the book of Acts, he will give us the landmarks of what is going to play a big role in the rest of church history. And you know there, there are certain cities in the book of Acts that play a big role of how church history is going to happen for the next 2,000 years. What are the main places where scriptures are going to come from? And we understand uh, what role Egypt plays in the manuscripts that come from Alexandria of Egypt and the people that corrupted them. And what role does Antioch of Syria play in the Bible, where the disciples were first called Christians, where Paul was sent out as a missionary? And lo, behold, there's only three things when it comes to the word language that you need to pay attention is the Jews, the Syrian, and the Egypt. Does that ring a bell? The Jews is the ones that gave us the Bible. The scriptures were committed to them. And then there's all, depending on your view, there's only two really big families where all the scriptures come from. They either come from Antioch of Syria or they come from Alexandria of Egypt. Now, Latin is made, mentioned in the Bible, but it's not called the language. Greek is mentioned in the Bible, but it's not called the language. It's called the tongue. There's another blasphemy right there. <laughs> By the way, the King James is the only Bible that makes a distinction between a language and a tongue, and you should study that. Because in Greek, there is no distinction. It's the same word. So we need to pay attention to the Bible. We need to pay attention especially to the book of Acts because it's going to give us all all the information we need of how church history is going to play itself for the next 2000 years and i think the icing on the cake on this one is in acts chapter 21 it is the only time in the bible where somebody asks somebody else if they speak greek that is you know as 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 someone who's who's doing the work of a translation that is the first question we get do you speak greek and this one is the icing on the cake. Pay attention to what's happening. Uh, I'm probably still thinking of that carrot cake, Brother Sam, that you treated us with the other day. But anyway, that was good. And all for, for the gluten-free folks, you can think of it as the carrot on your salad. Okay, it's, it's the same analogy. But the story in Acts 21 is when Paul has come to Jerusalem and... The Jews are very upset at him because he's teaching them against the law of Moses or or so so they think. And so they're about to kill him. And there's a big commotion happening in the city and the Romans get involved. So the chief captain comes to him and pick it up in verse 37. And Paul was led to the castle and he said unto the chief captain, this will be the Roman. May I speak unto you? Now listen what the Roman says to him. Who said, canst thou speak Greek? (laughs) Greek. Are thou not an Egyptian, which before these days met us up in our uh, uh, uproar and led us up into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers? So the Roman is confused about who Paul is. He doesn't understand Paul. That continues to be the case, by the way. But anyway, uh, and he confuses him for an Egyptian. Are you an Egyptian? And he's like, Paul says, but Paul said in verse 39, I am the man which is a Jew of Tarsus a city in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city, a city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him a license, Paul stood up on the stairs and beckoned with his head unto, unto the people. And when there were a great silence, he spake unto them into the Hebrew tongue. So you have a Roman who asks Paul if he speaks Greek. And he is confused and takes him for an Egyptian. He says, I'm not an Egyptian. You don't understand me, but let me tell you. I am from Syria. <laughs> You've heard of that place? <laughs> and he speaks to him in the Hebrew tongue. Maybe God meant something by it. Maybe maybe it doesn't. I look to the Bible for everything to form my opinions. And when you're dealing with languages and translations of the Bible, and individual words, you always will, are go, going to get this criticism that if you're, you're gonna lose something if you go from one language to another. You're gonna corrupt the original meaning and the original languages. But I believe that God is, is, is involved in the process of preservation. And always, they always promise that they're translating from the originals, and this is gonna be better, but they never deliver. The point is, that it, one thing is the promise. They, they have had 413 years to do better than the King James. Where is the proof? Where, is, where are the Bibles that have overthrown the authority and the precision of the King James Bible? We need to, to trust the Word of God. We need to pay attention to the Word of God. And let me say in closing how you can pray for us. Uh, pray for our health. God will give us the strength to finish our, our work. We are at 87 percent of all the, the words and the dictionary, uh, and by God's grace, by next summer, we will finish all of that, the website and, and the apps to come out with, with uh, the Bible in print, the website, the apps and the dictionary and the, and the concordance. So we appreciate your prayers on, on that. Pray for the people of Albania that they would receive the translation, and they would uh, open their hearts and t- to see what God has done uh, with, with this work to bring his words into the Albanian language. I wanna say a special thank you to all of you for uh, the hospitality and the, the fellowship that you have shown us. A big thank you to the media team for yesterday for working effortlessly to make it happen and, and getting, it, getting it right and, and working through, through the problems. I really appreciate their efforts. If you have questions about uh, our, our, our work, the Bible Project, please come see us. God bless you.
1: It's, uh, it's more than honorable what, what Arion and, and Yonita are involved in. It is, it is sacrificial, it is it's glorious, and it's difficult. It's arduous, uh, you know, and it's painful, like literally painful for, for our brother Anna and our sister and uh, to do these things because you know it's not easy and so I just really appreciate Ariel and I appreciate you brother and appreciate uh, what God's doing in your life and I'm so thankful are you thankful that he answered the call? Amen I am I'm so thankful for that what a glorious uh, week it's been uh, thank you for uh, just being here and investing your lives in, in the uh, mission focus this year and everything that uh, has been going on this week it's been beautiful. All the people downstairs working, uh, getting here early to get our food prepared, uh, you know, the, the praise teams preparing, all of the things that have gone on. It's been absolutely outstanding. And uh, just, I just hope you guys know, this is not normal. What God is doing here is special. And uh, what God's doing in our, in our fellowship at churches is unique, um, only because, uh, you know, there's, it requires faithfulness. It's not that we're unique. It's not that we're special people. What makes us special is Jesus and his word and our, our just stupid willingness to believe what God says, you know, and I don't mean that to be derogatory, but in reality, there has to be a point where you give up, uh, as everyone pointed out, you got to give up something to gain something, right? And, uh, you got to let go of the academic model and you just pick up the bible and allow people to call you an idiot or whatever they want to say and then you come up with gold and we just saw illustration after illustration after illustration of someone who because he is mining the word of God is getting riches and riches and riches and knowing God and and understanding more about his mind and, and that should be transformative and uh, in the time we have left I just want to just kind of wrap this up in, in uh bring a conclusion to this, uh, these morning sessions. And again, thanking Arion for his presentation and the excellent uh, job that he is doing. We should be praying for him. And, uh, and he reminds me of Ezra, the ready scribe, right? He is, he, is, he is engaged in this work. He has prepared himself for it. In many ways, it's, it's a life work. And he's producing a tool that we can all use uh, well beyond what's going on with the Albanian language. I believe God has a, a plan, uh, not just for the Albanian-speaking peoples, but in the time we have left and uh, the technology we have, this is an important uh, tool that he is bringing to the, the faith-based community of churches that, that believe and hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. And so uh, that, is, that is I can't overstate the importance of that. However, uh, it's also important that we understand that that uh, tools are tools, um, and, and and they are very important. But the most important tool that God has and uses to accomplish His mission in getting the word to the world is you, is people. It's precious. Every soul gathered here is precious. You're precious. The, the, the folks in your local church are precious. The souls of the world are precious. We established that on Thursday morning, right? God died for the world. We got to get the word into the, the heart of men. Last night, we heard the importance of answering the call, right, and coming out of hiding so that can be accomplished. And so we must be, uh, as we teach in our discipleship one, this should be familiar to most of us, right? We got to be who God saved us to be if we're going to, what, accomplish what God saved us. To accomplish, And so this morning I want to just talk to you, talk to you about the, the biblical uh, people God uses to get his word to the world. And you've got to be a biblical person if, if God's going to use you to get the word to the world. Because biblical people should steward the process of publishing God's word because we have a faith-based view of scripture. And Arion and, and is, is an example of what that is all about. I mean, he's preached the message. Um, if Arion wouldn't have gotten saved if Arion wouldn't have studied the Bible before he got into translating the Bible, right? He long before, he was looking for these patterns in the Word of God before he ever started translating the Bible, just like you and I are, as we're digging into the Word, we're using the tools that we've learned in our, in our discipleship process, and we're mining the, the gold out of God's Word. Why? At the end of the day. Well, so that we can be more like Christ. Or is it, right? Why? Motive is important. Uh, it's very important. And we need to have pure motives. And and as Brian Clark preached the other day, we've got to have pure lives, right? It's Laodicea. So we are all people who should be involved in the mission of transmission. And we should be preaching and teaching and translating and printing and assembling uh, the Word of God to get it to others. And if we're not willing to do that, we probably don't appreciate the value of God's Word as we ought. We probably don't really, and, and this goes on me, as I, was, as I was praying over this and preparing this, and, 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 and I, I'm not the guy who should, I don't even know why I'm in this position oftentimes. I'm like, what, why am I doing this particular thing? I barely speak English, you know, I go back over my PowerPoints, I'm like, oh no, I messed that up, I can't even get a PowerPoint right, let alone, a, you know, so God forbid, you know, you have me on the translation team, but my heart is there because I know the pattern, right, and I understand the precepts, and, and we can pray, can't we? And we can trust. And we can do what we can do. And we can do it with the right heart attitude so that God can get glory. The Old Testament was was dedicated by the shedding of blood of bulls and goats. And the New Testament was dedicated and, and put in force through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the authorized version was given to us at the cost of numerous martyrs who simply wanted to read the Bible in their language and distribute it to other people so that they could know the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and counter. The, the, the darkness that was uh, pervasive, as I mentioned uh, last Thursday, uh, about you know, between the Babylonian priesthood that had blinded the, so many people. And so God uh, allowed people, because of their faithfulness, uh, to get the word where it needed to go. And hallelujah, it's been on time for me. Man, I, 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 I was reading the King James Bible before I was even born again memorizing John 3:16 before I even knew how important it was and eventually that seed that got planted in the heart uh, came to to bring forth fruit unto eternal life so in the time remaining I want to I want to make sure uh, that this is is practical because uh, you don't have to necessarily shed your own blood uh, to get this done but you may have to be a living sacrifice daily right uh, it may not just be a one-time deal it may not be one and done you may have to like wake up every day like Romans chapter 12 talks about, and be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is reasonable, right? It's a reasonable thing to get the Word of God where it needs to go, and I pray that we would all be like Ezra the ready scribe and be prepared to to assemble God's word in our own hearts and also uh, in, our, in our minds and, and assimilate it to other people through the preaching of the word of God, through the translation of the word of God, through the distribution of the word of God, in every way, in any way that God calls us to. So let me give you four things before we leave this morning, just to kind of to, to launch us out of here as we go on to these next sessions. And the first thing I want you to see is that if we're going to be a biblical people that God uses to get the word of the world, we've got to be f- a faithful saint who learns obediently. And you guys know the story of First Samuel and, and Samuel, and you understand the context, right? Coming at, at, out of the time, and really it's still in the time of Judges, a time just like we live in, when every man does that which is right in his own eyes, we find Samuel. Samuel in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he did let none of the words fall to the ground. What was unique about Samuel was how he esteemed the word of God. We, th- we know Job, right, Esteem the word of God more than his necessary food. God esteems his, his word above his name. The word of God is of high value. It's important, and we should learn obediently. We, if we desire to be involved in, in, in transmission, translation, preservation process of God's word, we must start by obeying it. It doesn't do us any good to, 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 to learn all these things if we aren't willing to actually do what the Bible tells us. As, as Sam preached last night, if we're not willing to come out of hiding and, and, and be who God saved us to be so we can accomplish that which God saved us to accomplish. So God honors those who honor his word. There's no doubt about that. So, so um, we're three chapters into the life of this young man named Samuel in 1 Samuel, and we see that there was no open vision, and the word of God was precious in those days. You know, in First Samuel chapter three and verse one, the Bible says, "And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Heavenly Father, as we continue to look at this text, Lord, we live in a time of blindness. You tell us that in Revelation chapter three. And Lord, we need vision we know that the Bible tells us where there is no vision, people perish. And Heavenly Father, we know that you have given us your word. We know that you have called us to this. We know we've even been charged to come out of hiding, to be holy, to be faithful, going back to Jay's message. And Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we gather, Lord, that you would stir up our pure minds, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts so that we would go forth and accomplish your mission and your power for your glory, not our glory. And Lord, we would take your tools and your weapons, Lord, and we would get them where they need to go on time. We just thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this was uh, still the time of Judges, and and, and when there was no king in Israel, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. It's stated four times in the book of Judges, and and this was a time when Eli uh, violated Exodus 27 and verse 20. And he allowed the light of the tabernacle to go out. And it was, as you guys know, was to burn always. It was to always be burning. So God informed um, Eli in in chapter 2 that he had, had placed his family ahead of the Lord. He put something ahead of what God intended. And he put his family ahead of the Lord. And he robbed God of his glory by taking that fat of the offering for himself instead of offering it to the Lord. He was a robber. And, and he was the Laodicean who continues to think that he's rich and increased with goods, but is really wretched, miserable, poor, and literally goes blind. I don't know if he was naked or not, but he fell back and showed his skirt and he died, man. He had a broken neck. Neither Eli or his sons were examples to Samuel. He had no real good examples. Of course, we know his mother, Hannah, was wonderful. But Samuel, we just heard from a Samuel this morning, by the way, that was excellent. Samuel was a young man who didn't have good examples. He lived in a time when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes, and and he could have come up with excuses. He could have said, well, you know, you just got to understand my environment because I'm just a product of my environment. And obviously, I'm, I, you know, I can't be successful because, well, no one around me is being successful. But beloved, that is not the way we roll when it comes to the Word of God. We have to have a different mind. We have to have the mind of God. And we have to understand that, that when God is calling you, He's calling you. And there are no excuses. Obedience to the Lord is, is, is mandatory because God is worthy. And God has set, just like he set Samuel in a key position, at a key time, because we know who comes after Samuel. Oh, not David. It's Saul. Right? The type of the Antichrist. And then David. And Samuel gets to deal with all of them. As, by the way, you do too. we'll be coming back. I always tell people that we'll be back. Right? We may be gone for a moment. Seven years later, we're back. we we, we get to judge the antichrist and we get to see christ rule and reign on this planet man what a privilege to be able to look ahead already know what's going to happen yeah we know this dispensation is going to end in failure but we also know that after the judgment seat of christ we come back in victory with jesus christ i mean we know how this thing rolls and we are a part of what god is doing in time we are part of his plan and we are man guys we are coming to the end Oh, but, but Brian, it's Laodicea, so we must be failures. Well, I, I just cannot abide that. Because as your mom and daddy told you, all you can be responsible for is you. Right? And, and you and I, I have to make a decision that I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to be faithful to his words, and that I don't, won't let any of them fall to the ground. And again, the illustration and the example of, of Arion is outstanding as, a, as he's just preached this message right before us. Samuel did not allow this environment to victimize him. He could have had excuses for being a victim, but he chose instead to obey the voice of God and minister before the Lord, even when those around him did not. And just because we live in Laodicea doesn't mean that we have to resign ourselves to personal failure. As a matter of fact, that is the charge of Revelation chapter 3. God makes it clear in Revelation 3.21 that those who overcome will be rewarded even though the church age is a bust, to him that overcometh, it says Revelation three twenty one. So in a time of the rights of the people, a time of I got to get mine, I got to get mine, we say, no, no, you got to get yours, Lord, you got to get yours. And as an individual, I'm going to make a decision that you are worthy of all honor, all glory, and praise, as we sang this morning. By the way, hallelujah to you with that praise. That was wonderful. And man, we don't just sing those things. We, they resonate in our heart as we are tabernacles, as we are God's dwelling place, and we sing those things to God, and we say, yes, Lord, yes! You can have me. I will follow you. You can have all of me. And I will be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That is my reasonable service, and I will do that if Eli doesn't do it. I will do that if Hophni and Phinehas doesn't do it. I will do it when I see horrible examples and beloved don't miss this. You will see horrible examples. When I was a young man coming up in the Lord, I was so cynical. I barely got in the church, but thank God to my discipler, he was so wise and he gently brought me in and he, and he stewarded me into the local church. And, and man, I finally bought in. And if you'd have told me at 17, 18 years old what I was going to see in the church, for goodness sake, I'd have checked out. But that's not what the Lord wanted, and He wanted me to see that. He wanted me you know, it's Laodicea, and it doesn't matter how big you get. It doesn't matter how, how anointed you might be. At the end of the day, listen, you got to be holy, and you got to be blameless before the Lord God Almighty. If we're going to get the message where it needs to go on time, if we're going to see things like this happen, if we're going to actually see God work in people's souls and get them grown up to go and be everything God saved them to be, man, guys, we we are not rock stars up here. We're not performers, and we're not entertainers. We're just you. We are people that have gotten saved, and and to the best of our ability, we're just believing what God's Word says, and we're going forth in faith. It's so important that we're obedient, because that's the only way to love God. If you love Him, you keep His commandments. So God revealed himself to Samuel because he learned to obey and, and he could be trusted with God's word. He was an obedient boy. Even before he knew the Lord was calling him, even before he understood all of that, Eli, he, he, he would lose the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and worship in Shiloh along with his two sons and his posterity would be lost. I mean, it would look like a train wreck. But Samuel, the obedient one, would be used. But Eli, man, he was in trouble. Later on in Hosea, as God's writing to the nation of Israel, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. That prophecy actually was foreshadowed with Eli. He forgot what God had given Moses and what he was stewarding, and the privilege that he had, and the next thing you know, he lost his boys, and he lost the opportunity to serve the Lord as God had called him. You know, our churches in the Living Faith Fellowship, it's important that we grasp what's in our hand to accomplish, and we do it. If it's in thine hand to do good, do it, and we ought every one of us in, the, in, the, in this fellowship of churches, and all those that are coming in, man, we're going somewhere. Not because we're going anywhere, but we're following. We just heard about following. We're following Jesus, and he is still on mission, even till the end of the world, right? He's about the business of getting his word where it needs to go. So as you know, Samuel would, would go on to be the prophet who anointed David, the man after God's own heart. And if we love God, we keep his commandments, we honor his words, and He'll continue to reveal to us his word. So let's learn obediently. Amen? Yeah, let's learn obediently. Maybe you're a baby disciple right now. Man, learn obediently. Maybe you, you just graduated this week from LFBI. We'll continue to learn obediently. You're never beyond learning, and you're never beyond, I'm never beyond obedience. Point B, the faithful uh, saint right, also needs to listen intently. We need to be faithful, a faithful saint who will listen intently. In James chapter 1, and verse 19, you know this verse, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so if you want to be involved in, in, this, in this ministry of publishing God's Word, and even going into the process of, of perhaps translating and, and following the example of Arion and things like that, you've got to be swift to hear what God's Word says to you. And we live in an age with a lot of noise. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, do you wrestle with the noise? Yeah, I mean, you just get it everywhere, man. It's just like all the time. Ooh. I remember a simpler time. There just wasn't so much noise. But you're being bombarded, your mind. That's not on accident. Beloved, we've got to really make sure our ear is tuned to the words of God. And so we know what John 10:27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what a disciple does too. They follow. Listen to his words in an age of all this noise. We live in an age where saints struggle to hear God because they're not accustomed to listening to the voice. And again, appealing to Revelation 3, not verse 21 this time, verse 20, that's what the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will open the door. I will come in to him, and some with him, and he with me. Maybe you're listening to this message somewhere else and you're not even part of this group, but you may be in some apostate church, some apostate pastor, some apostate situation. Well, this is to you. Listen, you can hear from him. You can, because God has given you a book. And you believe this book, you will start to see things come out of the Bible that make you jump up and run down through the hallway going, yes, yes, I can't believe it. I never saw that dudes, I've been saved for over 30-some years now, and I I still, those things happen. It happened this morning. I'm watching this three languages thing, and I'm like, yes, yes. You know, I'm like, yes, Hebrew. Man, there it is. There's Antioch, Assyria. Yes, there it is. Oh, there's, oh man, there's Alexandria. There's the Babylonian crew, man. No way. Get out of here. You know, I'm over here having a party. Thanks. Never saw that before, brother. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know Jesus. You just got to know him. The power of his resurrection. The spirit of God that dwells in you. The love, the joy, the power, man. It's all, it comes through him and his word and it's beautiful. And you're beautiful because of it. Baruch, Jeremiah, Scribes, uh, Baruch, uh, Jeremiah's scribe, I should say, rather, listened intently as Jeremiah spoke and uh, spoke God's word and, and was able then to put that Bible to, or that text together so that the king could hear it. By God's grace, there's some under the sound of my voice, particularly, we're trusting by faith. This point isn't just generic, actually. There's somebody or somebodies that may be actually really gifted in actually listening like physically even. Maybe God's gifted you with some sort of ears or some sort of capacity mentally to be able to, to understand language, tonal differences. And you need to be engaging that in, in, in some language work to, 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 to create even an alphabet so people can even get a Bible. Because as you go on the mission field, you'll find there are people, there's even some large people groups that are still just using tonal languages that don't actually have the word of God in their heart language and, you, and God needs gifted people that not only can hear his word but can actually hear words. Like I'm tone deaf. I took my wife down to the, the thing and I'm like, You're, honey, I, with all, all sincerity, honey, you got a hearing problem. And the kids agree. So you need to get tested. So we go and get tested. And guess what? She doesn't have a hearing problem. But so she was getting tested. She so, why don't we test you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Because I don't have a hearing problem. Oh, no. She's like, sir, you need to get some hearing aids pretty soon or you're going to have a problem. I'm like, oh, okay. So I thought I could hear, but I can't. So anyway. And Amy Joe, she can hear great. So it's just she isn't listening. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i have a little honey let the medicine go down. But you know what, God, some of you guys, you're, you're kind of you're gifted though. Like you, you need to, some of y'all need to really pray about this call, like Sam was talking about last night, and it's unique to you. Like not everybody was Samuel. Not everybody's Pastor Sam. Not everybody is, is Ariel and Vogley. But you know what, you need to be who God saved you to be because there is work to be done, and this work is, it's immense. And we need everybody doing their part. We need to get 1 Corinthians 12. That's why we need to to be careful about what we exalt here because every body part is important. And you will be surprised how it is the least, right? The person you wouldn't think about who is the key to accomplishing God's mission. And God does it that way just to keep us all humble because we're dealing with his word. He's the one who gives the word. Great is the company, right, that publish it. Everybody in the company, everybody in the army is important. Everybody in the battle is important. I learned a long time ago just ministering like a city union mission, man, that you know the most important thing that back in the day at the KCBT days, the most important thing that I had at my disposal, well I shouldn't say the most important because everyone's important, but one of the things you wouldn't have esteemed as as important is all the preachers and all the gospel evangelists and all the counselors and all of that. You know, one of the most important people we had was the van driver, John Farr. I don't know if you know who that guy is. John Farr, you know, he's like seven foot eight. I don't know. He's not that tall, but <coughs> I'm exaggerating. Tall dude. He could preach, by the way, but he just had a heart. He's like, you know what? I'll drive the van, I'll drive it every week. You know, without that van going back and forth and shuttling, we really didn't have a ministry. Because you can lead people to Christ, but you can't make disciples outside the local New Testament church. You, think, you may be here going, well, man, Brian, I don't have anything to offer to this big, massive thing. You could be absolutely, and you are absolutely dead wrong. But you've got to be faithful. You've got to be obedient, and you've got to listen to what God's telling you. Having natural ability in, in linguistics is not only a, a thing that is needed. God needs those gifted people to, to be equally adept at hearing the voice of God from the Word of God, so they can transmit the Word of God to those that need to be delivered to Him. <clears throat> the key to Arion and, and Yonita is is not just their ability to understand the Albanian language, but their love for the words of God in the Authorized Version. If there are two things, uh, <clears throat> if those two things, I, I should say rather, are not married. What you'll end up with is scholasticism, and it will replace the authority of the Word of God. And that leads me to my third attribute, and I got to keep moving here. To be to be be a faithful saint who records precisely, right? You got to hear and very you got to listen intently, but you got to record precisely. Matthew five eighteen For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittles shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This is what the words first approach is all about. Not one I mean, it, it is the words first. And you've seen a great example of that this week from, from Arion. Moses, Jeremiah, nor Jesus were interested in dynamic equivalence. And by the way, just to be clear, there are times when there's a dynamic equivalent that happens in the in the process. Uh, so don't. But in the, in the, there's not a a methodology. That's not the overarching methodology. But in a, in a form in S, what I'm really talking about is formal translation. That's the process that we're using right now, not a dynamic equivalent. And to have that that formal process, which was the standard. Uh, in, in, in the authorized version, in the translation of most Bibles, up until uh, modernity, basically, up until the, the uh, 1700s, 1800s, really, and then 1900s, it's just gone haywire. Um, <clears throat> that was the way, because logically, that's how you would translate. Word for word to the best of your ability. That's what, what Ariana is doing. That's what he has shown you. Jesus is the one pointing out that he is so precise that even the punctuation is inspired and preserved. An easy read over Isaiah 9-6, and most of you know uh, this, it will reveal that that very well-placed punctuation marks differences and distinctions in how God fulfills his word in dispensations right? Isaiah 9, 6. Again, something that most of us may already know. For unto us a child is born. We just celebrated the incarnation, right? Unto us a son is given, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then we see that colon. And we know that there's a church age in there. We know Daniel's prophecy concerning him being cut off is in there. And we know that punctuation means a lot because what's coming next is the millennial reign. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Right? So those colons are important. A son was given, and he died on the cross. His earthly ministry is accomplished, but he's coming back. The government will be upon his shoulders in the millennium, and then he is going to reign forever and ever as the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If God is is concerned about punctuation, this is all I I want to say about this, then we should be too. If he's concerned about punctuation, that's how serious we should be about the words of God. From the, the, Le, the, Le, the Levitical priests to the Masoretes who stewarded the Hebrew Masoretic text uh, to the received text, it has only been in the past, you know, 150 years or so that the precision of God's word has been questioned by scholarship. The advent of the, of the corrupt Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus are two texts which should have been left in the garbage can. I actually think, I even think you said that the other day. And I would agree with that, because they undermine the authority of the Word of God themselves, because they're corrupt. So ready scribes understand God's preserved His words, not just His concepts. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is so important for pure doctrine. Luke 21.33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We talked about how the word is settled in heaven. A Bible-believing saint will judge all experiences by the precise, preserved, and absolute standard of the word of God. So 1 Peter 1.19, we covered that as well. We have a more sure word of prophecy. wherein until you do well that you take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn <clears throat> and the day star arise in your hearts. Until the catching away of the church, beloved, hold fast to the faithful words that you've been given. And lastly, and I gotta be done here, Be a faithful saint who distributes liberally. And really, this is where I I need to park the car. A lot of this is review. But let's bring this full circle. I mean, when it comes to being who God saved us to be, what do we really need to be doing? Hopefully, as we come out of here, man, we are distributing God's word liberally. That's a positive use of the word liberal, so don't get scared of it, all right? So, if I say that down further south you go, the harder it gets to say those words. Anyway, uh, Man, be generous. Give it, give, let, let it go. Let it rip. You know, we can say that we love God, but if we do, we'll keep His commandments, and if we do that, that means we're going to take the word where it needs to go. And my goal here this week is to give you real opportunity to engage, to distribute God's word. Uh, in Kansas City alone, uh, there's at least three like-minded churches that, that you can partner with right here. Heartland's one of them, Word First Bible Publishing. Uh, I see Pastor Terry Ogle here, I know Grace Baptist, they've got, you guys got binders, and, and we partner, we're just down the highway 25, 30 minutes from each other, we partner perpetually. What that's called is Philadelphian. I think Pastor uh, Alan Shelby, he has a large group of people who work with both of our ministries, and, and they may be having a place soon where they can actually do physical publishing. I don't want to speak for Alan, but I've been told that. You know, praise God uh, we should be in partnership because it's Philadelphian, and we should be publishing God's Word. So there's various projects that you can get in on every year, every year, and I could, I could list out a bunch of them. I'm not going to do that this morning because, I mean, the big ones I want to focus on, are even like Aaron, by this summer, by God's grace, will be, uh, can I say what we're hoping? Yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a New Testament, and we can pilot that, you know, that won't require a huge amount of effort uh, as far as people effort, uh, as far as the physical publishing of it, but uh, it'll take teams to take that where it needs to go and get it where it needs to go, and then down the road, we'll need to publish some Bibles, whole Bibles, both for here in the U.S., and then they'll need Bibles in Albania, and I was just doing some math, and I'm like, that's 150 plus thousand dollars probably at least. So you can give. You can pray. You can prepare your life. You can participate through, through actual projects. The doors open at, at Word First every month. We're doing projects for different, different things. A cool thing that uh, we did a few years ago with uh, uh, <clears throat> Pastor Tom, um, Tom Brockmeyer Is he in the house today? He, I don't want to call him out, but he was, uh, he's been here this week. Tom uh, took a trip down to Jamaica back when Bob Weston was alive. We, we went with him on that trip. But you know, he did a cool thing. He said, hey gang, he got about uh, 10 of us on the trip and and they were all college students except for me and Tom and and, uh, Christy but um, and my son who was a freshman in high school so anyway we we all got together and and they came out to what we call the armory at our church where we assemble the word of God and they said hey look and this was Tom's leadership not mine Tom's like hey let's all let's do a thousand John and Romans so we did and then uh, and and so we all come out we can whip out a thousand John and Romans in less than in a day I mean a day uh, so, um, so we did that and then, and then we took each of us took a hundred we stewarded a hundred of those and when we got on the ground we just went around and that is what we use as a tool to witness and we all distributed a thousand John and Romans as part of our, our outreach effort in Jamaica it was tremendous so the team was, was involved in assembling the word distributing the word preaching the word I mean it was outstanding And so those are like practical, hands-on things that you can do to just kind of get this concept of how important the the word is and getting it out in every way. And so Jay Shug, uh, uh, about two years ago, uh, came up with a team from from, uh, Alabama with his church and assembled up, what was it, 1,000 or 1,500? I don't remember. 2,000? I don't remember. 1,500? 2,500. I I don't even remember. 2,500 New Testaments. Chichewa. Chichewa. Remember we talked about that Chewa project, that Chechewa project? Well, the, we got some New Testaments together and sent them to Dan Jalowick over in Chapada. And uh, man, Jay's team come up in a weekend. They whipped out 2,500 New Testaments. And, uh, and then they, they hauled them all the way back to Alabama. Thank you for that. And because he paid for the shipping. Oh, by the did I mention pay? Yeah, there's money involved in this process. So uh, yeah, so there's also opportunities to give. So there's also opportunities to give. There's going to be opportunities to give to this project. You know, they're, they're working on projects in the Vietnamese language right now. We talked about Joseph Hayden. He's got a Tonga project coming. Right? All of these projects, they're not, they're not like our project. They're not just their project. They're our projects. It's going to need all of us to get these things where they need to go. But you know, what's really cool about these projects, whether it's Chewa Chichewa, or the Tonga is exciting. There's a, that's a small people group. Like, our fellowship could own that and just make it happen. I don't remember the population Joseph told me, but uh, it's not, it's, it's not, I don't believe it's much larger than probably the metro, if I remember right. Maybe it's six, you remember how many there are? How many? 2.5 million. The metropolitan area of Kansas City. I mean, could we not take care of something like that? I think we could. Yeah, so my point is there's practical things that we can do, and uh, and so I would encourage you to pray about that. There's the, these projects like the Tonga, the Albanian. There's teams that form around these things. People need help. Not every team is going to look like Yonita and and Arion and, and, uh, Arion and Yonita. They want to get that backwards. But Like Priscilla and Aquila. So Aquila, Priscilla. So um, more importantly and practically, though, we need to make sure that we are about the business of, of getting the Word of God in our hearts, making sure our life is lined up like Samuel, that we're obedient Amen. That we're ready to hear. We're ready to distribute. We're doing what God tells us to do so we can accomplish that what he wants so he can accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Be an obedient learner. Be a saint who listens intently. Be a saint who records precisely. And lastly, make sure you're a saint who distributes generously. Be about the business of praying. Be about the business of praying for Bibles that God would be able to give the supply. There's places where, man, there needs to be more. Plan. Get with your pastor. See if there's a way that you can support your community, your outreach. Maybe there's a project. We did one for uh, through Midtown. It was great, beautiful. They bring a team down, do John and Romans, and then uh, and use them up here on the campus. Custom covers. Uh, that's basically our, our stick here, is we can, we can put any cover you want. We'll put it on. Whole Bibles, New Testaments, uh, John and Romans. We'll do that. We'll do that for you. We're happy to help. Just hook us up, wordfirst.org. And so, wordfirstpublishing.org. And so, but you need to participate. Get involved where you're at in your own church. And then ultimately, be praying about opportunities. As, as things come along, you know, we do need folks to help support these projects. And I know many of you pastors are, are down with that, and I appreciate that, but it takes everybody. And so, be willing to give your time, your talent and your treasure. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank for this time uh, in your word. I pray, God, that you would just continue to encourage us in propagating your word and publishing it. It takes a great company, a great army of people to do that. And I pray, God, that you would continue to stir us up as we go into our next session, next sessions. Lord, that you would continue to bless the conference, bless these souls. And I, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, you'd be glorified in all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.